like everybody has certain inherent gifts and things that they not only are good at doing, but they like doing like, cause no matter what you pick, there's always certain battles you have to fight certain obstacles that are just annoying and make it hard. But, uh, you know, the battles that you're willing to fight may be different than the ones I'm willing to fight. You're listening to investing for good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design and impact the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how are you doing today? I'm okay. I'm hanging in there. How about you? You know, about uh, 20 minutes before we started recording this episode, my um, four-year-old vomited all over the couch. Oh, so no. That was really fun. Every day is oh, an adventure. My God. What happened? Is he's he fine. Just like- Once in a while, I, I don't think he's really sick. Um, he's just like, you know, it's like one of those, who knows, maybe he ate something, whatever. <laughs> but he woke up and he was really tired. He's like, I want to go back to bed. We're like, oh, good. Go back to bed. Go yeah, back take to a bed, nap. Yeah. Good, good, good. Go take a yeah. nap. And then he's like sleeping. And then all of a sudden he vomits all over the, he was lying on the couch, vomits all yeah. over the couch. We're like, oh, poor baby. Oh, no, it's all over his hair, you know. Oh, the pleasures of parenthood. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. Poor baby. Yeah, that's no fun cleaning cleaning up that stuff. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't, Especially I can't these imagine. days. It's like, I okay, know. get out the hazmat suit. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, gosh, hopefully, does he have a fever or? No. No, no fever. I think okay, he's fine. Yeah. If this just happens once in a while, I don't know if it's like growth spurt totally. or whatever. Who knows? Or knows yeah, something <laughs> he ate or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's so yeah. funny. We're so different. I would have been like, oh my God, he like vomited. I'd be like on the phone with the doc, right? right. And you're always just like, get me ah, the test. I need the coronavirus test right yeah. now. Like, yeah. <laughs> what? What do you mean you can't give me the COVID test? I need it now. My kid just threw up. Like, right. I need it. <laughs> yeah. Oh funny. my gosh. Well, I am thrilled to share with our audience the um the episode that we just recorded with seth williams yes Yes. um so seth and i originally met at fincon the conference for um financial nerds as you know Mm -hmm. um and seth is the founder of retipster.com that's real estate Mm -hmm. tipster.com he specializes in land investing he does all sorts Mm -hmm. of other types of real estate investing but his focus is on land and the way that he talks about it's fascinating it reminds me of one of my friends from college who she used to um, go online and buy all these designer jeans. Mm-hmm. And she'd buy the jeans and she'd try them on and she'd look in the mirror and she'd be like, she'd maybe buy 10 pairs and keep like one that was like mm-hmm. really good. And then she would resell all of the other ones at a, at a markup. So she'd uh-huh. make a little bit of money um, uh-huh. on the side as she's going to college selling these jeans online. Uh-huh. And it reminded, listening to him talk about land reminded me of that because it's sort of the mm-hmm. same thing. He's talking about like buying land at a discount and then turning around and selling it um, at a profit, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought the one thing that that I thought was really interesting is how he said how cheap he said he could get yeah. it, like ten cents on a dollar. He's like, you pay twenty cents on a dollar, you're overpaying, or you got ripped off. And you know, he's joking about that, but um, even still, I mean, ten cents on the dollar—that's that's insane, you know. And the fact that there's not as many people uh, out there looking for land versus looking for, uh, you know, rental real estate. 
was interesting. Another thing that I thought was super interesting, because when I have ever have thought about getting into land, you know, as you do, when you get into real estate, you explore all these different niches, um, that I thought was interesting that he had mentioned is the way that you make money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's different from owning rental properties where, you know, you buy a piece of property, you invest the money, and then you get cash flow. This is more of a, you buy the property, and then you immediately look for a seller, which is so bizarre. Um, and he had mentioned that it sounded like it was like a six month time frame, could be days, but all the way up to six months. And so you hold this thing for that amount of time and then you sell it for this significant markup. Um, you know, and or the the second way that he had mentioned was the seller financing, which then, you know, helps you create um sort of a monthly, uh monthly passive income stream. And so uh yeah, it was super interesting conversation and uh, definitely learned a lot. Yeah, it, it seems like a, a much more versatile asset class than I had originally thought. So for all mm -hmm. our listeners out there, you're going to learn a ton from this episode. Here's our conversation with Seth Williams. Seth, how are you? Hey, Julie and Annie. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm doing well. Awesome. Good. We're glad to have you here. Yeah. Now, Seth, You've been investing in real estate for quite some time, since around 2006, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. You got it. You initially tried to get into flipping, as I understand, in rental properties, which is totally reasonable. I mean, in 2006, that must have been so, so easy, right? There must have been <laughs> cash flowing deals left and right. Yeah. Not so much. <laughs> it's all part of the journey, though. <laughs> so what made you get into real estate in the first place? What were you looking for at the time? Yeah, well, for me, I, I I knew I wanted to make money somehow. Like I, I, I didn't really just want to do the um, you know middle class lifestyle, just the nine to five job thing. It just didn't seem that exciting to me. Maybe it's because I didn't I didn't have like a specific career in mind that I just was dying to do. <laughs> but I knew I wanted to I wanted to make money somehow. And initially, I thought, well, I got to be a doctor or a lawyer. Like that's the only way to do it. Right. Um, but I realized as I was going through college, like I honestly wasn't, I wasn't smart enough. Like I wasn't academically high level enough to like really excel in that field. And it also wasn't really my passion anyway. So I started looking into different, you know, business opportunities and ways to make money and eventually came across real estate as many of us do. And, um, yeah, it, uh, I mean, I knew people were doing it and doing well at it, but it took me forever to figure it out. I mean, I spent just hundreds and hundreds of hours, you know, trying to find rental deals and houses to flip and stuff. And all of it involved, you know, lots of debt on something that I knew nothing about. Like I was kind of shooting in the dark and like, no matter how I sliced it, like it was just a, a risky, scary thing. And I just was kind of clueless. and. uh so I spent a long time trying to pursue that. And eventually I finally figured out the land business. And it was definitely not the first thing on my radar. But uh, when I thought about land, like what does it take to buy and own land? I mean, it's, it's a very simple type of property. Like nothing happens to it. There's nothing on it. Uh, you can't, you know, break it or destroy it or steal anything from it. It's just there. And, uh, you know, I, I think the mo what most people think when they think about land is like, well, how do you make income from that? Like, what's the point of just buying dirt? And I had that same thought, but it all started to make sense when 
I realized you could buy land for a very, very, very cheap price. Hmm. And at that point, it's kind of like buying anything that has a value to it at a very cheap price. You know, if you're able to, you know, buy a piece of gold or silver at 10% of what it's actively selling for right now, (laughs) it's not going to be hard to turn around and make money on that. And that's exactly what I was able to do with land. And, uh, you know, the, the beautiful thing about land, aside from just its simplicity and the fact that you can buy it so cheap, is that you're also able to do this without ever seeing it in person. And this actually took me a few years of working in the land business to realize this. But, uh, you know, land is, um, it's not like a house or a building where you need to get inside it and like inspect the condition and all this stuff. It's just dirt. So most of what you need to know, you can get for free with tools like Google Earth, Street View. You know, it's usually a good idea to hire a local person to drive by the property and snap a few pictures for you just to see what does it actually look like on site? Is there any garbage on the property or anything like that? And in some cases, it does make sense to get like a survey or you know, environmental work if it's a commercial property. But 98% of the time with the smaller residential properties that I deal with, it's pretty simple. A lot of that stuff is not even part of the equation. And that makes it feasible to buy properties really anywhere in the US. And I haven't seen one of my properties in years. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty cool when you realize what's, what's possible. So I'm curious before we go all the way deeper into land, because I, I do want to get into the nitty gritty of it, because I'm yeah. so curious. I'm at a, a little bit of a turning point with everything that's happening with coronavirus, where I'm exploring all these other new, you know, alternative real estate niches and land is something that's intrigued me. So I definitely want to jump into that. Um, But I kind of want to take a step back and ask you about what the process was that you took, because I know a lot of the people, um, you know, who are listening probably wonder, well, first of all, how did you stumble across real estate? And then what were the steps you said you spent hundreds of hours? So was that like consuming podcasts? Was it like attending, um, you know, meetups or like, you know, I don't yeah. know, being on bigger pockets. I don't know. What were, what were your steps that you took sure. to, to find and discover that land was your thing? Yeah. So bigger pockets wasn't really a thing in the early days of my, um, I'm sure it would have been very helpful if it was a more, you know, if I knew about it, but I spent a lot of hours just reading books and getting educated. Mm-hmm. Like how, how does one analyze a deal? Mm-hmm. Like how do you get good information, put it all together and know when you're looking at a deal that's worth pursuing? Um, so that was a big part of it. But then the other part was like, okay, how do you actually find these deals? Mm-hmm. And in my mind, the only way that you could find a deal is if it had a for sale sign in the front mm-hmm. yard, you know, if an agent was listing it on the MLS. So, I mean, that's the only place I ever looked for these hundreds of hours that I was mm-hmm. looking around. And uh, I mean, I don't want to say there were zero deals, but man, it sure seemed mm-hmm. like it. I mean, it was, it was very hard. I remember you know, on several occasions making full asking price offers, sometimes even over asking price. And I still didn't get the deal. Uh-huh. Like, like deals that were already not good deals <laughs> and other people were not getting it. And it was just, it was just insane. Uh-huh. I mean, it's actually kind of a similar environment to what we've seen over the past year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but uh, that, that was really where a lot of my time was spent, just mm-hmm. spinning my wheels and kind of, I mean, I had a direction in my mind. It just wasn't the right direction. Mm -hmm. It was like the highest competition, most difficult way to make it work. What books did you read? Were there, are there any that you think like you would recommend to somebody who's just getting into this and wants to learn more like about how to analyze a deal or how do you find deals? Like anything? 
Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of good ones out there now. Back at the time, the one that really helped me out a lot was the ABCs of Real Estate Investing by Ken McElroy. Okay. Part of the mm-hmm. whole Rich Dad, Poor Dad crew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just, uh, I don't know, his writing style, is, it's very, very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. He doesn't use big, you know, crazy, highly academic words. It's just very simple to understand. Uh, he runs through a very clear analysis on how he, how he, you know, looks at deals and actually made a spreadsheet like based exactly on what he has in his book. And it, even today I still use it. So it uh, works pretty well. Okay. So I think that's key for all our listeners who are listening to this. It's not that you just passively consume a podcast or passively consume a book, but Seth, you're saying, you know, you not only read the book, but you made a spreadsheet out of it, or you took notes out from it. So it's taking what's in the book and taking action and making it happen. Yeah. Yep. So wait, so hold on for a second, because you're spending hundreds of hours Clearly, you you had to be doing something else to make money oh, yeah. during this yep. time, right? So, For were sure. you working a job at this time? Yeah, so I was uh, I was working in a job that I got in the banking industry. So, I worked for okay. a small business financing company, and we did SBA five hundred four loans. Mm. So, it's a really mm. niche kind of loan. It's actually a great loan product if if you happen to fit it, you know, just right. But so, yeah, so I was getting really familiar with. You know, how do you analyze not just a real estate deal, but like a business who is going to mm-hmm. make a big financial decision? And that was really helpful, actually, just understanding how do how do lenders decide whether or not uh, a borrower ought to get money? Uh, like, how do they assess risk? What a lot of the I remember being my mind was blown again and again. Like, there are so many different what ifs to account for with any deal, like just a hotel, for example, like it's not just about what is the purchase price? What does it cost to build the thing? And then how much does each room generate in revenue? There's like, well, when do you have to improve it after every seven years? How much is that going to cost? What about if uh, the economy changes? What about if competition comes over here? There's just like so many different wrinkles to consider. It's always kind of a tricky thing because like, I think that's sort of where analysis paralysis comes in. Like you can, you can analyze something to death. You'll never know hundred mm-hmm. percent of what you need to know, <laughs> but you can get to the point where it's enough. And it's kind of the trick to understand mm-hmm. when do you know just enough to make an educated decision? And in the end, there, you can't get away from some element of making a bet. Like, I think you can definitely increase your odds, but like nobody ever knows for hundred percent what's going to happen. So, right. So you're working this job, you're doing SBA financing and loans and analyzing deals and businesses and nights and weekends, mm-hmm. I'm assuming maybe yeah. during their lunch break, yep, you're, exactly. you're learning about real estate. You you're bet. making these offers on these not great deals mm-hmm. at full asking price. And at what point did you get to the point where you were like, Oh my gosh, this is not working. Mm-hmm. I need to figure something else out. Yeah, it was, um, I don't, if I hadn't discovered land, I don't know where I would have ended up, honestly. I don't know if I would have given up or what, because what I was doing, like you said, it wasn't working, but I didn't know what else to do. So I just kept doing it. And it was like the grace of God that I I came across this thing that actually worked. It just cut through all of the nonsense that I was dealing with. And it just, all of a sudden, 
I went from crazy competition to literally zero competition. Like nobody was going after the deals. When I was making these just nuts, low offers, there was no other buyer competing with me for that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really just, uh, I think, continuing to look until I found something that worked. And uh, that's kind of the, I've always sort of wondered about that. Like, how long would I have gone? Mm-hmm. Like, how long can a person last doing something that doesn't work? And uh, right. I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm just really glad I, I finally landed on something that got traction. I feel like that's such a good message for people who are listening, who are struggling, because I feel like it was so much the same for me as well. When I first got into it pretty seriously four years ago, I was doing, I was kind of like looking into everything and I did a, mm-hmm. I dabbled in a little bit of everything and did notes and hard money lending. And I looked at mm-hmm. flipping and short-term rentals and nothing really, I wasn't really like winning, you know, I was like, it was yeah. okay, you know, when I did it mm-hmm. and it worked and it was like, all right, but it wasn't like where I felt like I was really gaining traction until yeah. I discovered what we do now. Um, and yeah. I feel like that's the great thing about real estate is there isn't just like one path and you can get like so creative and there's so many different um, niches to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of that, because like it makes you wonder like, why doesn't everybody land on the same thing? Yeah. There's one thing that works. And I think, I think uh, (laughs) part of that is probably like everybody has certain inherent gifts and things that they not only are good at doing, but they like doing Mm -hmm. like, because no matter what you pick, there's always certain battles you have to fight, certain obstacles that are just annoying and make it hard. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the battles that you're willing to fight may be different than the ones I'm willing to fight. Totally. Yeah. 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 And I think the important message is like, just keep, keep on keeping on, like, don't give up the the pursuit to finding the answer. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, that once you get there, you'll know, and uh, you don't yeah. know how you know, but it's like, Oh, mm-hmm. this is it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it still seems like a quantum leap in, in my mind. So you're okay. So I'm trying to picture it, right? So you're there, you're looking at MLS listings, you're talking with brokers, you're making offers. And then did you stumble across like an MLS listing for land and you were like, Ooh, this looks good. Or was it like your broker suggested, maybe you look at something with less competition. Like what was that little tweak that made you think, Oh, maybe this could work instead. Yeah. So there was a uh, a website. I don't even know if it still exists. I could find out really quick, but it was uh, flippinghomes.com and they had a forum that was really active back in the day. Uh, it was kind of like the pre-Bigger Pockets era, I think. Like they were one of the <laughs> right. bigger real estate okay. forms out there. <laughs> and uh, I heard him talking about uh, this guy who was selling a course on land investing. And the guy that mm. ran the site said, I've been through the course. I think it's really good. You should check it out. And I was like, hey, that's all I need to hear. So I went and I checked it out and it was awesome. And it really was legit. And it wasn't like, it's not like it was like the most amazingly done course ever, but it was something new that I had never heard of before and never even thought about. And all of the, uh, all the explanations just made sense about like why land is easier, you know, why it's easier to find deals, why it's easier to manage. And uh, it was one of those things like I just, I had to find out more because I tried so much that didn't work. And if there was any chance that I, I you know, I just had to turn over this stone and it was going to work, I had to figure that out. And thank goodness I did because it did work. <laughs> I'm curious. Do you think that had you not gone through all of the the hardship that you went through with rental properties and flipping and trying all that stuff? 
if you had just started with that land course, do you think you would have gotten into land or do you think you would have been like, ah, oh, this is this, this is too easy? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't know, honestly. Um, I think the, the hardship, I don't know if that's the right word because it's, it's not like pain. It just was disappointment, I guess. But I don't know that, that I would know the difference between something that works and doesn't if I hadn't had so much experience with what doesn't work. And uh, it's kind of like, uh, almost like how, how does a person know when they're happy if they haven't been unhappy before? Right. It was a similar thing. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it probably was a very important thing to struggle for a long time because it, yeah. it helped me see the opportunity and really just recognize it for how valuable it was. We'll get back to our conversation with Seth in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. And now... Back to our chat with Seth Williams. Let's let's talk about land. Yeah, let's dig in. I'm so yeah. curious. Because <laughs> I know, me too. So tell us, you know, first of all, you mentioned that it's basically 10 cents on the dollar. Why, why is that? Is that because there's so little competition? Yeah, good question. So sometimes it's 10 cents on the dollar. Sometimes it might be okay. like 20 cents on the dollar. You know, if you really get ripped off, you'll pay, you know, 20% of its value. But uh, um, I'm joking when I say that. But, oh, I was uh, like, really? Oh my yeah. gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, most of my offers are between the 10 to 30% range. So enough so that no matter what, I can't get hurt on the thing mm. because it's worth way more than I paid for it, even if I do nothing to it. It's a combination of a couple of things. There are certain lists of property owners you can get. Um, actually many different kinds of lists where the owners on these lists, there is a higher likelihood that they will be motivated to sell because there's some kind of issue going on with their property. Mm. So when I got started, the list that I used was the delinquent tax list. 
because that's what was taught in the course that I took. And so that's what I did. I got that list. I basically just had to call the county and said, hey, I need a list of all the properties in your county that are currently delinquent on their taxes. And I, I'm not talking about the ones going up to the tax auction. Like, that's not what I want. I want the ones that are still owned by the private owners. And uh, they actually, I think it's by law, have to give it to you because of the Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. I'm not an attorney, mm-hmm. but I, it's uh, you basically just send them a formal request and they can send you, it's a totally messy Excel file with all kinds of information all over the place. It's really a pain to work with, but if you can get it in the right format where you just send out a simple mail piece to everybody saying, Hey, look, I see you own property in this County. I'm looking to buy property in that County. If you want to sell it, give me a call. And uh, a lot of people responded to it. And so you can do this with any type of property. It does not have to be land, but I think the difference with land is that uh, for whatever reason, a lot of people buy land emotionally without actually having a like logical use for it. Like maybe they buy it thinking, Hey, someday I'll build my dream home there. I'm going to go camping there or something. And their plans change or whatever. They just forget about it. It's out of sight, out of mind. And they end up on this delinquent tax list. So, you know, I I've made really low offers on houses like this before. It's just that with houses, I think there's a lot of other investors out there looking for them and snatching them up. So like, uh, a lot more vacant land parcels make it through. So that's kind of why it's lower competition. Um, and yeah, you you just send uh, mailers to these people and when they respond, you know, you can make really low offers. You sort of figure out a ballpark value for the property, which is a little tricky sometimes because land is a difficult type of property to appraise. Even appraisers don't really know what they're doing when they value land. But Usually you can look at similar size properties in the area that are vacant and find out what they're listed for. Just sort of use that as a basis. And you just make offers that are way below that. I mean, just laughably low. And many people will not accept these. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people are just, you know, think you're crazy, but a handful of people do. And not only do they accept them, but they're like happy for the opportunity. They're like, overjoyed to get the money because in their minds, they were just going to lose it to tax foreclosure anyway and get nothing. Mm-hmm. So you're giving them an easy way out. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's pretty easy to buy these properties. You can even close in-house in most states um, because there's, there's no loan involved on these like 99% of the time because uh, vacant lots, you know, generally banks will not lend on them. If you don't have a plan to immediately improve it, you can't get financing for it. So people have to own these things free and clear. It's really just as simple as signing a deed over to you. Mm-hmm. There's a, I mean, you sort of have to know how to do a title search as well and just verify the title is clear. Make sure the land isn't totally useless. Um, like it's not a swamp or something like that. But assuming you can do those things, um, it's fairly straightforward. So I'm curious, what makes um, a good market to buy land? Like how do you... Yeah decide yep. where you're going to buy it or even where, it's, like in the city, away from the city, side mm-hmm. of the freeway, not on the side of the freeway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great question. So it's a lot of the same stuff that you would normally look for when you're like looking for a place to buy an apartment building or rental properties. Um, things like, you know, is there population growth? Is there job growth? Is there low crime? Things like that. Mm. However, uh, because we're dealing with land, 
there's some other stuff I think worth looking at. Usually most people who do what I'm doing, they find that the biggest bottleneck in this business is not in buying stuff. It's, there's tons of opportunity out there to buy cheap land. Mm. The harder part is selling it, mm. like getting it sold quickly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've, I've never had a vacant lot that didn't sell eventually, but some of them sold in like a matter of days and others you got to sit on for like six months before they'll sell. Mm. So if you can find a market where people will buy up the land fast, that's kind of what makes a good market for land. Mm. So another thing to keep in mind there is uh, tourism, I think. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to quantify because there's not like ironclad data out there that gives you precise tourism numbers, at least mm-hmm. not that I know of. But if you just think about like, what are, the, what are the states in the country where people like to go there for one reason or another? Like if you compare the state of Indiana to the state of Florida, mm-hmm. like which, which of those states probably has higher tourism? Mm-hmm. You, know, you just kind of think about it like that. And then also another data-driven way that you can find a good market for selling land is to just go on a website like Zillow and look for things like how many days have all the similar listed vacant land properties been on the market for? Have they been on the market for like three years or have they been on the market for like three months? Because the longer they've been out there, that tells you people aren't buying them. And you can also look at each individual listing uh, you know, maybe pull up like a dozen of them or so just at random and see how many times has this listing been viewed and how many times has it been saved? Because the more views and saves it has, it's another clue as to like, there's a lot of people interested in land in this market. And you'll find some places like these listings will have thousands of views on them and other markets they'll have like seven in mm-hmm. the past 30 days. So mm-hmm. the more views you see, it's just a better indication that, hey, People want land here. Hmm. So I want to go back for a second to the tourism. So you mentioned the days on market. You mentioned um, how easy it might be to sell. And you mentioned tourism as one of the factors. So how is the current COVID-19 pandemic affecting your decisions? Are you sort of holding off on buying land at this point? Are you holding? I assume that you're holding some parcels of land at Mm -hmm. this point. Is tourism, do you you foresee this as sort of a short-term thing? Or do you think this will impact tourism and land over over a long term. Yeah, so tourism is it's kind of a it's very loosely related. I wouldn't say it's like tourism equals success. It's just one of many different arrows that can potentially point in the right direction. So when Got tourism it. gets sabotaged, that doesn't really destroy anything. So what I've found just in different traffic and also what I've heard a lot of other people saying is that vacant land properties that are rural, so like an hour plus away from a big metropolitan area are actually selling really well. Like there's a lot of interest Mm -hmm. in that, like more than there was before. Um, Mm -hmm. And infill lots, so like a smaller lot that is only good for one thing, and that is building a house, those are not doing as well. And I think uh, the trend we're probably going to see and probably already starting to see is people just trying to like get out of big, densely populated areas and more out into the country. I don't know if that'll be a long-term thing or just as long as this COVID-19 thing is forefront on people's minds. But as of like today, that seems to be the direction things are going. And I know uh, for the longest time, I was always of the mindset that the best markets to buy land in are in rural places anyway. Like I'm not looking in downtown Detroit to buy land. I'm looking in like 
an hour or two or three away from that to buy land. I think that's kind of what a lot of land investors do. So for the most part, people are okay unless they've loaded up on lots of, uh, you know, smaller infill lots and that kind of thing. Right. So how do people make money on these deals? Because I've heard that you can make money passively and then I've mm-hmm. heard that you can't. So how, yeah. how do you make money yeah. on these deals? Yeah. So it's like anything. I mean, if you buy something super cheap, that's worth a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of uh, how much you want to price it when you sell it and then how quickly you want to get your money out of it. So there's kind of two different avenues you can go. You can Say if you buy a property that's worth ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars and you pay you know fifteen hundred bucks for it, you can turn around and list that for sale for cash. Like, hey, somebody just give me cash, and the listing price could be I don't know six thousand bucks, mm-hmm. something like that. So you're still making a really good profit from that. In the end, buyer is getting a great deal, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's what I've been trying to do the most uh, okay. over the past several years, mm-hmm. just because it's cleaner, it's simpler. You get your money back fast. You can keep it moving. The downside to that, though, is that your asking price usually has to be a little bit lower, and it can take a little longer to find a buyer, simply because not everybody has you know that kind of cash just sitting around waiting to spend on that. Mm-hmm. So another way you can do this, and I've done, I've did this for a while. Uh, is with seller financing. So instead of uh, you know instead of listing that property for six thousand bucks cash, you could list it for eight thousand dollars and say, hey uh, buyer, if you give me a thousand bucks down or even fifteen hundred bucks down, I'll let you pay off the remainder over the next three to five years or whatever you want to say, however long mm-hmm. you want it to be. Mm-hmm. You can even add like ten percent interest on that if you want. And uh, th- this is helpful for a number of reasons. First of all, you know, when you get this down payment, most, if not all of your investment is paid back immediately. Mm-hmm. So like for the next three to five years, every subsequent payment you get is pure profit. Mm-hmm. Like you're not using that to pay anything off. It's just going right in your bank account. Uh, and it's also, you know, with uh, the interest that you can add on, if you want, you know, there's interest income from that. You can also generally sell your property at a higher price Mm -hmm. and you sort of open up the opportunity for a lot of people who otherwise could not even think about buying your property because they don't have Mm -hmm. thousands of dollars sitting around. Mm -hmm. So uh, the only downside I can think of, and it is a significant one, is that you don't get your money back immediately. You have Mm -hmm. to wait years to get it all back yeah, or or make all of your profit, I guess. You're getting your investment back, but the full profit takes a while. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I guess the other downside that uh, not a lot of people think about is as soon as you get into seller financing, you have to learn new documentation. You have to learn state specific laws that can come into play. You know, not if, but when people start paying late or stop paying, you have to have a game plan for how you're going to get the property back. And it doesn't mean it has to be hard. And in some cases you can make more money in the long run when you have to get properties back and resell them. But still like, they're added wrinkles, like more things you have to think about and hassle with. And, you know, I think as long as you're aware of that and okay with that, it's great. Mm-hmm. But if you're somebody who like, you'd rather spend your time on other things or you just want to avoid the nonsense and just get your money back now, uh, seller financing might not be the most ideal approach. So it just kind of depends. 
Mm-hmm. And then how did taxes figure into all of this? I assume that uh, there's some, you take some sort of tax hit if you get all the money up front versus, you know, spacing it out over time through seller financing. Yep. So if you just sell it for cash, it's just capital gains. So yeah, there is definitely a tax hit. And uh, unlike a rental property or an apartment building, there's no depreciation at work here. So it's you do kind of miss out on some of the tax benefit. If you do sell property with seller financing, I'm no CPA, so don't quote me on this, but something that I ran into initially was that there's some kind of tax provision saying that, say if you sell a property termed out over five years, you have to pay the whole tax bill in that first year. But if it is a property that is not a dwelling, if it's a vacant land, that doesn't apply. So it's kind of like this little workaround that only applies to vacant land. So again, that's uh, that's my non-financial, non-professional <laughs> assessment of that. But that was one thing I, I found when I was dealing with seller financing. Where do you find buyers? Yeah, it's uh, there's lots of places you can go, really. So there is... Uh, what I have usually done is I have sold it to not another investor, but the end user. So somebody who's going to buy that and own it long-term and do something with it. And for those kind of buyers, you can find it pretty easily on Facebook Marketplace. Uh, when I was getting started, Craigslist was a huge mm-hmm. deal. I think it still is pretty important, but it's it's starting to pale in comparison to Facebook now. Okay. Zillow for sale by owner is another free uh, place you can list them where you'll get a lot of eyeballs. And all of these free websites have their quirks. Like they're all a little annoying to work with, mm-hmm. but like it's free and it's yeah. ton, tons of, of uh, exposure that you can get. Okay. Uh, there, are, there are other uh, paid avenues you can go like landwatch.com. There's a number of other paid land listing sites you can use if you want. Mm-hmm. I've done a little bit of that, but I, I just, I didn't get the, you know, it wasn't like notably different than the free places. So Usually, I'm just sticking to the free stuff. And are those also mm-hmm. good places to find land? I mean, I, I mean, if you're selling there, would you say that that's a good place to be a buyer, a investor? Or I mean, I think you just said that it's it's not because you're looking for the end user in those places, right? Or yeah, I mean, I don't want to say never. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's probably opportunity everywhere, but it requires a lot more like manual searching, going like one by one by one by one and try to find it. I think a more scalable time efficient way to do it is with direct mail because you can just, I mean, the vast majority of people are not a good fit anyway. Mm -hmm. And you can just kind of weed out a lot of that by saying, Hey, if it works for you, you Mm -hmm. call me and we'll talk more. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Craigslist, it would take tons of time to accomplish the same thing. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about volume for a second, because I imagine you're not sending out 10 postcards, right? You're mm-hmm. probably sending out hundreds. So how many are you sending out? And then how many, approximately how many people call you back? And then out of those, how many deals do you get? Yeah. So that's another interesting thing. So I think a, like a solid direct mail effort is usually about, you know, a thousand mailers, give or take a few hundred my, my first one I ever did was 106 postcards that I sent out and I got six responses from that and no deals, but it was, it was pretty cheap. And I just, I didn't know what I was doing mm-hmm. at the at the time. I wasn't sure of what to expect. So I was just testing the waters, but as I've matured in this process, the volume has gone up. I know some people that send out like tens of thousands of these at mm-hmm. a time. So it just depends on what you want to get and 
do you have the capacity to handle the incoming volume of people who respond? There's also, there's two different ideologies on how to do this. You can send out a neutral letter where you're just saying, hey, you know, I saw you on land, get a hold of me if you want to sell it, that kind of thing. You know, from there, you can have this conversation, make an offer, all this stuff. And I think that approach, it can make sense if you have a lot of time on your hands, but not a lot of money because you can send out less expensive mail pieces and reach more people and like squeeze the most possible potential out of every conversation. Mm -hmm. But like, it takes a ton of time. Mm -hmm. Like you'll waste many, many hours doing this. Another approach is to do something that's called blind offers where you're figuring out what properties are worth on a per acre basis before you send out your mail and you're actually sending out like a contract with every single mail piece. Mm. So basically like from the very first time they hear from you, they see your offer. And I think the benefit of that is you don't have to have these back and forth conversations where they think you're going to make a huge offer and you eventually Mm -hmm. disappoint them. Like if it's not going to work, you just figure out from the first point Mm -hmm. of contact. Mm -hmm. And because you're not building up any personal rapport or anything, you know, you're going to lose lots of opportunities there, but still like the time you'll save is huge. So Mm -hmm. if you have a little bit more money to spend, that's probably the more, I guess, time efficient way to do that. That's really interesting. interesting. I've never heard of that. That's yeah. So uh, as a landowner, I could just be like, I walked to my mailbox one day. I've forgotten about this piece of land that I maybe bought years ago that I haven't paid taxes on. Walked to my mailbox. I open up this letter from somebody I don't know named Seth (laughs) and I open up this letter and inside is a letter and a a contract. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy wants to buy my land that I've totally forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And then, so then what, then they like, if they're interested, then is there a phone number to call or do they just sign it and mail it back to you? Yeah. So there's like three possible responses here. People can either, you know, not respond at all or send you some kind of hate mail because they hate your offer. That's something that is going to happen in this process. When you're making low offers, people are going to get mad at you. So you have to be okay with that and just kind of let it roll off your shoulders, learn to laugh at it, or they will respond and say, you know, I, I get your offer and everything, but I want a higher price. Let's renegotiate. And it's up to you whether or not you want to do that. Uh, or they will just respond and say, okay, let's do it. Like they can literally sign the contract and send it back to you or call you and just say, hey, what's the next step? And uh, in any case, the way this contract is worded, you're not obligated to close. It's almost it's worded more like a letter of intent. Mm. Like, hey, th- this is what I would like to do. And you, you know, you have the, the typical inspection period where you can do your research after they say yes and verify it's actually a good deal. And if it's not, then you just don't close on it where you can notify them in writing, hey, you know, because of this, it's not going to work out. So really that, that blind offer, the, the function of it is to just like throw offers out there and see what sticks. Hmm. And a, a lot of it won't. But when it does, it's, you know, pretty straightforward in terms of how to move forward from there. Cool. Fascinating. Yeah. And what is your, I want to uh, switch gears for just a second. What is your long-term goal with with investing in land. I know you also do other types of real estate investing. So is land sort of a means to an end or do you sort of see yourself growing this big portfolio of land? Yeah. So some people have that approach where land is the thing. Like I want to actively work this business and make millions and they can do that. Uh, For me, land is definitely a means to an end. So I, I always knew that, uh, you know, if the goal is to get long-term buy and hold real estate that just sits there and makes me money for the rest of my life, 
you can try to do that with your job, but that's going to take forever um, unless you do like a syndication or something like that. And for me, land was kind of like a way to supercharge that process, a way to generate big paychecks that I could not get from my job. And that's, you know, that's part of why I try to do the cash deals for the most part, because I, I want the cash. I want that, you know, as soon as possible. So for me, it's it's more of a means to an end, just to generate the liquidity that I need to get into bigger, longer uh, buy and hold properties. Ooh. Makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Should we move into the investing for good impact round? Sure. All right, let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. Um, okay, so we're going to ask you three questions um, around investing for good. So the first one is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a long road for me. It, uh, I mean, it took me almost 10 years um, after I started doing this to like really get to the point where I could be totally financially free. And it really just, it's about being able to do work that like I really find important and meaningful and that I get excited about. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I've used the analogy before that um, like when I walk into my office uh, every morning, it's sort of like what a young child probably feels when they're running through the gates of Disney world. And they're just (laughs) like, Whoa, this is the coolest thing ever. Like that is how I feel about my work, which is, I mean, I, when I was working my job, it was it was an okay job. It wasn't a bad job, but like yeah. it, it was miles apart from how awesome the work is that I get to do now. Mm-hmm. And just uh, being able to get that kind of joy in my profession is just an amazing thing. I feel like it's a very rare thing too. Yeah. And yeah. That's, uh, I, that's not lost on me. I understand what a privilege that is and I'm, I'm really thankful for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the impact that that has on everyone around you from your family to friends and family, you know, extended family and, you know, um, and that's so much of what we do is it's like, come here, join us on this journey and, you know, really discover how great real estate investing can be and, um, you know, find that, uh, that impact in some way or form that you can have by participating in real estate. And, um, it's so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so second question, and I'm sure that there's many that you could share with us. Um, com, just the name of that website. I'm sure there's so many tips. But um, what is one way or one uh, investment strategy or one hack that you might be able to share with our audience that will help them catapult their investing journey? Yeah. yeah you know, I actually put together a blog post uh, a few months back uh, called Life Pro Tips. You can okay. find it at retipsier.com forward slash life pro tips, all one word. And it's, uh, these are all things I got from Reddit, actually, just things that I thought were brilliant, that were so simple, but they mm-hmm. like really could make a big difference. And one of them <laughs> that kind of stuck out to me is in your professional life, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. Mm. And uh, that's something that, for some reason that's hard for a lot of people to grasp. I think myself included, I've always almost had this, I don't know if entitled is the right word, but it's like, Hey, like I ought to be paid more or I deserve something better just because of who I am. But Mm -hmm. it's like, really has nothing to do with that. It's about your negotiating ability and your persuasive ability. Mm -hmm. And that's I I don't know. I think if, if I had realized that a lot sooner, I probably could have gotten a lot further. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
I love that one. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I feel like that's so true. And something that I've always, I always talk about that, you know, people are always like, I can't ask for that. That's not what, you know, that's not what they do. And it's like, who cares what people do? You, you ask for it and see what happens see what you get. So I love that. And I will definitely check out that um, life pro tips and see if there's anything valuable in there. I'm sure there is. Okay. Last question is investing in the world. So what is one way that your investments are helping to make the world a better place? Yeah. So for me, something that uh, it's really more of a time investment than a Mm -hmm. money investment, but Mm -hmm. um, I've invested thousands and thousands of hours into uh, retipster.com and the whole the whole idea behind it is to uh, really just like give away all the best stuff I know for free. Yeah. And it's, it's based on this, uh, you know, I, I got inspired by Pat Flynn of Smart mm-hmm. Passive Income, who I'm sure you guys probably know about. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first saw what he was doing years ago, I was just like, whoa, like this information actually changed my life and yeah. I didn't pay anything for it. Yeah, And somehow he still does really well off that, even though a lot of the stuff is free. And it's kind of the same approach I take at retipster.com. And um, a lot of the stuff that like nobody ever taught me, I just had to struggle through it and figure it out Mm -hmm. on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, That stuff is just like there for anybody who wants it. So um, there you go. Awesome. It's like they say, you can get everything you want in life if you just help Mm -hmm. enough other people get what they want. And it's, all about paying it forward. And that's exactly what we're all about too. So I love that. Awesome. So Seth, what is the best place for people to go um, to connect with you and learn more? Obviously, retipster.com. Is there anywhere else you'd like to point people to? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm usually somewhere on all the major social media places, uh, (laughs) Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. So people are more than welcome to reach out and connect with me there. yeah. So feel free. And also there's a, obviously a contact page on retipster.com. It's actually kind of hidden. You have to scroll to the very bottom in really tiny words, you'll see contact. So You have to go through the gauntlet yeah. if you really want to <laughs> exactly. contact Seth. Perfect. Well, we'll have all that in the show notes. Seth Williams, founder of retipster.com. Thank you so much for being here with us, Seth. You bet. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Seth. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.